0: Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and I'm a marketing manager that wants to learn more about business, leadership and marketing. Today my guest is Gina Ballarin, the founder and director of Verbalistics, where they help companies do B2B communication better. Today we'll talk more about communication and about our customers. So interesting topics as always. And let's get started. Hi Gina, and welcome to the show.
1: Hello Felicjan, I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that properly, but I did my best.
0: (laughs) It's very close.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to be your guest when we were having conversations about preparing for today. I love the questions that you asked. And so I hope that I'm able to give as many insights to your readers and listeners and viewers today, as we were able to exchange in our brief preparation call.
0: Yeah, I'm very happy to hear that. So I will start with the first question. What should every B2B leader know about communication?
1: I think the most important thing to know about communication is that it's not a one-way process. You don't send a message and just expect it to be received exactly the way you sent. Or rather, you shouldn't expect a message to be received exactly the way it's sent. Mm -hmm. Communication is both about listening and understanding as much as it is about sending a message. Now, as a marketer, I'm used to being on the side of the the business that sends messages, a lot of messages. And that has been a challenge for marketing for many decades. We think that the messages that we send out there are just being received by a passive audience. The audience is not passive. Mm -hmm. The audience is actively engaged in the meaning exchange. The process of communication is just as much about the noise that's in your head as it is about the interactions that you have with your audience. So the important thing that we need as marketers to learn is that we don't have to keep shouting at our audience anymore. In fact, ever since social media gave us the ability to listen to people one-to-one, to to get almost instantaneous feedback, we have been able to listen. The problem is a lot of marketers don't listen. And the same applies to leadership. I think that often leaders have had to carve out their niche. They've had to, to shout to be heard. They've had to be brave. They've had to be bold. They've had to make bold assertions and that's Mm -hmm. got them to where they are to a large extent but we're now entering an era of empathetic leadership more than ever before and I think that's something that COVID gave us it's a real advantage that leaders who know and understand what they're expecting of their not their audience but their people what are they expecting of Mm -hmm. the teams and the managers who report into them it's not just about their expectations it's about what the other side is expecting of their leaders too and so the real important topic of communication is that it goes both ways
0: i love it and i think there is this change that right now people yeah companies and leaders they have to be much more people-centric than company-centric because if you don't care about your people and you don't serve them well they will just leave and as there is a war for yeah business for opportunities going on there is still a war for talent and you have to be empathetic to attract the right talent to your company, and to keep them. Actually,
1: I was just going to add that it's all very well to attract people, and to be fair, you know, marketers have a, a role to play in attracting people to an organization as much as HR leaders do, and the HR teams, and you know, the people who put the sexy adverts on the website and your company's culture page. That's all very important, but why? Yeah. How do you keep people? I wrote a blog post not too long ago about the psychological contract between employees and employers and the problem is that if you set unrealistic expectations when someone is joining a company you're setting up an unrealistic psychological contract and it is very easy to invalidate that contract and one of the things that happens is that trust suffers and when people Mm -hmm. are in an organization where they have expectations that are continuously not being met it's very easy to walk to, to vote with your feet And this is happening more and more. There's a reason that we're seeing, as you said, the war for talent. There's a reason that we're seeing so much attrition. It's because people have decided that they have a lot of choice and they're going to exercise that choice. And the responsibility is for anyone who is leading to help people understand why they should want to be part of that organization and think about what's in it for me.
0: Yeah, and that's also something that COVID actually gave us. Because before COVID, companies weren't too open for remote work. After it, yeah, they just seen the value that you can be in the United States or in Australia or wherever and work with people from India, Philippines, Poland and other countries. And yeah, you can have the same talent for a fraction of the cost. So...
1: You're right, but it's not just about the fraction of the cost. It's also about the follow the sun mentality. Organizations that previously were operating in only one time zone can now provide services when it's done right across, you know, 24 hours. It's a real advantage, for example, when you're briefing an organization based in Australia and you're based in Europe. And you can say, hey, can you do this? And miraculously overnight, by the time you wake up the next morning, there is a deliverable waiting for you in your inbox. But I think what COVID Mm -hmm. has given us is not just the opportunity to be more empathetic and understanding as managers and leaders, the opportunity to work remotely and the opportunity to actually connect with people in any time zone. It's also the ability Mm -hmm. to have more honest conversations. And I think if nothing else has come out of COVID, it is that ability to be vulnerable and to admit that we're not okay sometimes. That I think is yeah. hopefully changing the landscape of management, of leadership, of hopefully even marketing.
0: Yeah. And Gina, how can yeah leaders have those two-way conversations? So let's say there is someone that was yeah, just old school for a very long time and they just got that one-way process baked into them. So what can they do to go to the next level, to practice that two-way communication?
1: I love your questions, Felix Jan. They're not easy (laughs) to answer because what you're identifying there is old-school managers. And what makes them old-school is usually that they're set in their ways. They have certain expectations of the way they receive feedback and it's not easy for them to change. Mm -hmm. There is a big role that HR has to play in feeding back information from a company or their employees to a manager. But there is also a role that individuals have to play, and that is to have the expectation that you have the right to be heard.
0: Yeah.
1: And sometimes people who sit at the top actually don't get the opportunity to listen to anyone. You've seen the success of programs like uh, the what was it, the unexpected CEO or the, you know, the yeah. hidden CEO, the guys yeah, the who the hidden CEO. Yeah, the guys who run that massive, for example, shipping company, but they've never actually seen what the docks look like on a day to day basis. And they come in and they realise how much hard work it is and, and that gives them a true and yeah. deep understanding of what people do at the coal face every single day. I think the same applies to communication. If you have too many gatekeepers in an organization, what ends up happening is that the messages don't filter up. They get stuck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of that has to do with fear. What happens in organizations where fear is the predominant driver of, while I say not success, but it's the way that people keep their jobs, they become gatekeepers of information. It means that they mm-hmm. operate in silos. It means that they prefer not to share information. And it means that ultimately no one can collaborate effectively. Now don't get me wrong. There is such a thing as too much communication, but it's far rarer to have too much communication than it is to have too little communication. And you'll find usually that if people are sharing simply too much information, it kind of balances out over time until you find a happy medium of communication. But to really answer your question, how do you get managers who are old school to actually listen to their employees? Sometimes it requires enough employees standing up and mm-hmm. saying it's not okay to listen to this. But I think what it also requires is a little bit of bravery. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. If you have a company directory and you have a list of employees, the chances are that you'll know what your CEO's email address is. But the vast majority of employees in a business would never send their CEO a message. So if you've got an old school CEO and the only way to get in contact with him or her is sending them an email, what's stopping you? I'm willing to bet yeah. it is not the fact that you don't know what their email address is. Or there is something else inside of you, inside of your team, your structures, your organizational expectations that prevents you from having that conversation with the CEO. And more yeah. often than not, even what seems like the stupidest of questions can be incredibly valuable to someone who is out of touch with what's happening in the day-to-day business.
0: Yeah. You know, what? I think that sometimes it's the fact also that, yeah, those CEOs or, yeah, just business owners and all their managers, they don't want to show vulnerability. They don't want to show that they are not perfect. And that's would yeah that's what keeps everyone away because if you come and say that you made a mistake or something, they are yeah those people are just afraid that they will be fired.
1: I'm not sure that they're afraid of being fired, but I think they're afraid of being seen to be wrong. And I'm interested in yeah. what you were gonna say about the older generation because I think there is a difference. I think as people have um, started to embrace a more open, Medium of communication, we've also started to embrace a more open attitude to learning, to Mm -hmm. adopt a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. And that ability to switch from saying, Well, I know everything, therefore I am the expert, to switching to, I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I can still know more. But I have to find that information out somehow. Who can I ask? How can I find that? Now, you were saying something about generations. I'm curious.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, I'm from Gen Z, I believe. I I was born in 1997, and I've seen that people from, yeah, that are closer to my age, they usually talk about the problems that they have, they are quite open, and if there is something wrong, they will just tell you, and if you don't fix it, then they will leave, like, and they will look for a different place, and, yeah, my generation is more open to jumping ship, and changing companies quite often, compared to the older ones, where yeah they would stay with one company for a lifetime. And
1: yeah, it's true. It's also... Those days of staying with a company are long gone. And I think there's an intermediate step. I'm I'm Gen X, just about. Mm-hmm. And there was an expectation in my time that people would have a much longer tenure at an organization. Personally, I didn't, because I found yeah. I got frustrated and I got exhausted by processes for the process's sake. It wasn't a comfortable place for me to be. So I think I was a little bit ahead of my time in terms of leaving. But I guess the mentality is if you expect to have a job for life, there's a lot more that you're prepared to put up with. But if you're prepared to put up with a lot more, but you also realize that you don't have that many more opportunities, you know, your job is your job is your Mm -hmm. job, you're not going to complain so much because eventually you get to a point where you realize What's the point in complaining? Because nothing changes. I think we've had vast shifts in the way that we use communication technologies to make connections more accessible. Think about it. Once upon a time, a CEO sat in an executive office at the top of a building where you probably couldn't even get onto the floor of that elevator without having the right access code and you know even yeah. if you did the secretary would be standing outside the door saying I'm sorry you can't come in do you have an yeah. appointment you know nowadays the ceo sits in the same pod as anyone else in an organization and the only difference is whether he or she is in a dozen meetings a day so you simply can't see them because they're not physically available yeah. the difference is not the proximity the difference is not the ivory tower or that glass-encrusted room where you have look out over a city with a million people and feel like you're on top of the world. CEOs are just like you and me now. They might just be you and me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like The world has changed. It's not what we've known for um, 20, 30 years ago. But Gina, you mentioned processes. And do we always need processes if we want to facilitate work?
1: I think processes are important if you're working with multiple groups of people or repeated activities. It's not about processes for processes' sake, though, and that is often the challenge. As organizations get larger and larger, there is a tendency for more and more processes to be put in place. The problem in a pre-agile world was that processes would be created and never destroyed or never adapted yeah. or never improved and so what ends up happening is you you just get more and more of them until the processes become overwhelming and you actually lose the humans and you forget why the yeah. processes existed in the first place yeah. when we first connected i think you said oh i've i've got a stand up but i thought you were going for stand up comedy <laughs> <laughs> But actually, no, it wasn't you meant you were going for a stand-up meeting. And it makes me think about, you know, in agile development, agile software, agile, any even agile marketing, people do a lot of rapid meetings, adjustments, adaptations. That is the principle behind agile. So, yeah, of course you have processes when you're doing agile product development or agile marketing or agile anything. But those processes themselves are open to improvement adjustment, adaptation. So I think if we're looking at processes that are there for a reason, we come back to the point about why people are there. It makes sense Mm -hmm. to have a process that actually enhances the work, that improves our ability to do it, maybe even improves our ability to work with other people or to communicate with other people. It doesn't necessarily make sense to have processes that are designed to prevent things. Now, this depends on the industry you're in, of course. There are a lot of industries where processes exist for a reason that are there to to save people's lives, to prevent fraud, to make sure that people are actually able to function safely and securely. Sadly, as frustrating as those processes might be, there are actually good and sometimes legislative reasons for those processes to exist but you'll probably find yeah. that people who t- like those very process heavy organizations tend to be pro processes themselves yeah. i'm not exactly. sure i could work in pharmaceuticals
0: for example <laughs> yeah because sometimes too yeah a too big process can hinder work like that's the problem that if you use processes for everything Yeah, you don't leave too much room for creativity and for freedom, basically, because it's good to have those, yeah, those lines in which you can work. It also facilitates creativity, but you have to let people know that it's okay to experiment. If you, yeah, from time to time, don't follow the process exactly, then nothing happens. But yeah, get something out of it, learn something new and let us know. So, I think you're
1: absolutely right. Being able to take processes and improve them requires a little bit of a maverick mindset. Let's think about it yeah. that way. In large organizations, there is a concept of an entrepreneur rather than an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think intrapreneurs are far more common than they used to be, especially in your generation. Because what happens yeah. is those who have been enabled by information, those who see that the world is just a couple of clicks away to be able to find what you're looking for. Realize that if you can improve a process by watching a five-minute YouTube video, the chances are that there is someone out there who's done it and learned from it and made a bigger, better process themselves, and why not adapt to it? I will say, though, that processes aren't just there for safety and security, and as you said, sometimes processes can enhance creativity if they provide a framework that actually assists rather than restricts creativity. But I will say that processes can also be there to help put people on the same page. And there is a risk that if we try to adapt processes too often, we try to change things too much of the time, that we end up with a little bit of confusion. And it's actually important to be able to have everyone know and understand, let's assume a process exists for a reason, to know and understand this is why the process exists. This is what we're trying to achieve by doing that process. Everyone knows how to do it. Okay, let's go ahead and make it happen. I've seen in organizations that adapt too often, that are too agile, too, too busy in a way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they can actually end up causing a heck of a lot of confusion <laughs> simply by moving a document from one place to another when mm-hmm. everyone knew where it was and forgetting to include a new hyperlink.
0: Yeah. That's true. That's a very good point. Because sometimes there is much more confusion than we need. <laughs> and do you think that the yeah the world changed that our work is not anymore transactional as it was before, that people now rely more on the values that the business can provide, and yeah, both for the customers and their employees.
1: Change is a. Big topic. It is about a question of what do we need?
0: So do you think that work is now more about the values we can provide for others than just a pure transaction between two parties?
1: Yes, fundamentally I agree with you. Work has stopped being purely transactional. Unless, of course, you're working in banking, where there are a lot of transactions. But even in banking, it's not purely transactional anymore. Work has always been about relationships. Think about sales. Why will you buy from one salesperson and not the other? Because there's something Mm -hmm. that they give you that makes you feel they're adding value to their lives. Well, the same thing happens with companies and leaders that understand their people, or that have strong values that transcend the organization, or indeed have a a raison d'etre, if you will. A reason mm-hmm. of being something that is a founding statement. A few years ago I worked for an organization called Concur. They provide travel and expense management to many of the large enterprises around the world. They were acquired oh. by SAP a few years ago but what was brilliant about working for them when they were still Concur before the acquisition was that they really cared. They had a mission. Now, it wasn't a mission Mm. like let's save the planet or let's, you know, prevent greenhouse gases from killing us all. No, their mission was very simple. It was about creating a world where you didn't have to do expense reports or expense claims every month. Mm -hmm. And yet it was that simple yet powerful vision that actually was able to bring a whole bunch of people together because there was a common sense of purpose. It was focused on what can we do better? Well, if we do this thing, will it make our users' lives easier? Yes, then we should do this. Mm. If we do this thing, will it make the organization's lives better? Will it help us help people spend less time filling in expense claims or expense reports and help them spend more time doing value-added work? That was transactional, but it was also about a sense of values. And that made it, I think, a really special place to work at the time.
0: Yeah, like they were leading with the values. And especially today when you have, yeah, all businesses online and all of them almost look the same. Like a simple claim like that, thats yeah, it set them apart from everybody else, basically. Like it was that easy. So it was
1: that easy, and I think the, the founders identified that. It was something that really drove them. It was a great passion. It may even have been as strong as to have said it was a calling. So mm-hmm. my calling is a – I call it a big, hairy-ass goal. It's not something I can achieve on my own. It's something I want to work together with a lot of people to achieve, and that is to eliminate human suffering at work. Yeah. Like Wow, that's Love a big it. thing, yeah. right? But it's the kind of thing that we can all work together bit by bit to look at doing. And part of that comes down to the values that we bring every single day as employees, as managers, as leaders. Every single part of the organization can identify what is creating suffering and what can Mm -hmm. reduce that suffering. COVID gave us the opportunity to identify when we and the people around us are suffering. It gave us the ability to step up and say, ah, I'm feeling really awful. (laughs) And it gave us the ability to use empathy with people who are struggling and build a sense of trust. And what happens when we have increased vulnerability is that the people around us realize it's okay to be vulnerable too. And I think if we are all able to be a little bit more honest about what we're really enjoying and what we can do better, It does give us a little bit more freedom and flexibility to eliminate that human suffering bit by bit by bit. But let's face it, businesses are in existence to to make money. And at the end of the day, there will always be stuff that people will have to do as part of their jobs that they aren't necessarily a fan of doing. But I think it makes a big difference to know why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why does it make sense to do it? Why do you feel like it can add value.
0: Yeah. I love this point. Like it really resonates and usually it would be the perfect place to end the conversation on, but I want to ask you something more. So, on our pre-interview call, you mentioned the yeah. You mentioned something that really stuck with me for a long time. So, is marketing about our customers or should we look into our customers' customers? So, is the end person really the one we should care about? So what's your take to on To
1: understand this, I think it's important to think about who are we talking to. Now, traditionally, companies talked about themselves. And they said, we're great, and here are our USPs, and here are the benefits. And Yeah, yeah benefits maybe, right? If you think about the benefits, you're thinking about, I provide service X, my customers benefit from service X. But in asking that question, what I'm looking at is marketing from a three-level perspective. And that is that, yes, you're serving your customers, but why are your customers buying your product or service in the first place? Because they are serving their customers. And that's the thing that makes the biggest difference. So when I'm creating communications, what I try to do is not just step into the mind of, my organization's customers. I actually tried to step one level further because actually it's about those emotions that happens between your customer and your customer's customers that helps you understand why you do business in the first place. But it also helps you understand what problem are you trying to solve? And if we are able to step that extra level further, it gives a much bigger picture view of the world. And it also helps us understand that what we see of as a customer, no matter how well we craft a persona, no matter how well we see our customers in all of their depths and breadths, it's actually not about them. Because they too are being told, hopefully, by their customers if they're listening, or at least they are trying to serve their customers. And it is those problems that they are solving And the reason that they're coming to you is because they have a problem they can't solve themselves. And if they can't solve it themselves, it means that by you solving the problem for them, you are helping them help their customers. And therefore it becomes a beautiful cycle of assistance. And to me, that is what great marketing should be about. It should actually be about, oh, this sounds so corny, transcending. It should be about transcending messages so that you're not just going, oh, and it's not even about you, 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 it's about, think about you and them and how can we help everyone? And if
0: yeah.
1: if we take my big hairy ass goal of eliminating human suffering at work and we put it into the context <laughs> of marketing, right? How can we yeah. eliminate marketing suffering? In other words, why are we producing messages and shouting them out into a void that no one is listening to? Instead, yeah. if we know what's on the other side, it stops being a void. And it starts being yeah. a conversation. And that's when I think marketing really does have the power to transform and transcend and to actually be authentic and valuable. And that's when I'm proud to be a chartered marketer, a fellow of the Chartered Institute yeah. of Marketing, a fellow of the Australian Marketing Institute, because then we're doing it right. And we're actually just solving problems. Yeah. That's something I think it's
0: a of. very unique approach because usually when people approach research and yeah learning about their customers it's only a yeah a two-way conversation you and me you and me and they don't look at the whole group while there's so much more to it like really when you look at marketing it's not one area it's everything it can touch every aspect of your business so yeah really i i love the point that you made about this so (laughs)
1: Thank you. It's uh, I think something I've developed over many years of actually thinking about what problem am I solving. One of the challenges Mm -hmm. with marketing is that we're we're not joining the dots necessarily. A lot of people Mm -hmm. who follow they follow a strict process of marketing or they use a certain Mm -hmm. number of tactics. We often do that because we think that something's going to resonate with an audience, but actually the truth of a buyer is that no one follows a buyer's journey as much as we'd like them to, right? Individuals are individuals. And we will find our own ways of finding information and jumping around. And and what we think of as a buyer's journey is more like a buyer's journey. (laughs) You're jumping around all over the place to get from the beginning to the end. But what also happens is that marketers often forget that the buyer at the beginning of the journey becomes a happy customer at the end of the journey. And if you can slot that happy customer back in at the end of the journey, you get a beautiful cycle. But it does mean that in order to get that cycle, you have to be able to meet those promises and expectations all the way through that buyer's journey and out the other side. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think companies like HubSpot got it right. Because they realized that actually it's not about the journey from the beginning to the end. It's actually about attracting your customers, engaging your customers, and then delighting your customers. So that actually, they become advocates. And then, acquiring new customers is so much easier.
0: Yeah, obviously. like If you can create a digital word of mouth, then you are good to go. So, Gina, it was great to have you. Please tell me. Who should I interview next to learn more about B2B <laughs> leadership? I
1: think it should be a woman. I think you should be talking to a woman who has stepped into a world of previous advantage and shifted the nature of the environment. I don't have a specific name in mind, but I will keep my <laughs> eyes and ears open because I think that just as Jen said, and millennials are changing the face of the world for the future, um, women in leadership are starting to step into positions where empathy is more important, where the ability to be wrong is more important, but also where it's more important to be respected than to be liked. And that is a very important learning journey.
0: I think I know someone like that, but we'll see. (laughs) And the last question, where can people find you? And how can you help them?
1: Please pop in to LinkedIn and check out Gina Ballarin. There is only one Gina Ballarin in the world, as far as I'm aware. So you'll find me relatively easily. But you can also visit verbalistics.com.au. That's V-E-R-B-A-L-L-I-S-T-I-C-S. And you can check out my book. I wrote a book called The Secret Army. Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of People. And it's available from Amazon just about everywhere in the world, as far as I'm aware. So please do check that out. But most importantly, if you listen to this and you want to get in touch, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Send me a message. Say, hey, I'd like to chat because I'm always open for a good chat, especially a good podcast. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you today, Felicia. Thank you so much.
0: It was a pleasure to have you. I will include all the links in the description. And yeah, thank you very much for today. And probably see you on LinkedIn.
1: I'll see you there.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.